Hi, everyone, and welcome to the GFOA's Federal Liaison Center last week in Washington of 2020. It's been quite a journey. Since the pandemic, we've been meeting uh, about every Friday is since April, and we've been talking about all the developments that we've heard in Washington throughout the last CARES Act up to where we are today. All those recordings of our journey along 2020 are available on our website, and we would encourage you to visit our website, gfoa.org, to see the journey that we've been on. Where do we stand today? December 22nd, 2020. Last night, the House and Senate passed House Bill 133, which is the COVID relief omnibus. It's a 5,500-page bill that accomplishes many federal tasks. First of all, it funds the federal government through December 31st, 2021, or what they do is it's called the continuing resolution. They also included several provisions would that would extend tax provisions, federal tax provisions uh, to taxpayers across the US. And that's called the tax extenders bill. Now along for the ride, of course, is a second stimulus bill that has several provisions, very important to state and local governments. GFOA, along with our sister organizations, have been reading the 5,500-page document since last night um, and trying together to determine what is important for communities across the country. Today, the purpose of this week in Washington, this last week in Washington of 2020, is to walk you through some of these provisions. In some cases, we will note the location in the bill of the provisions, and in other cases, we'll tell you what federal administration agencies we think are going to be administering the fund. All of this information is also available on our website, gfoa.org, under our member alert. We have a chart that documents and is a continuing living document. Of course, we're finding new things daily. Um, we are going to be adding information to that chart. So please uh, bookmark it and we'll make sure to have that information handy for you even now in the holidays and into, of course, January 2021 when the rubber hits the road. And speaking of rubber hitting the road, I'd love to turn it over to my colleague, Maureen Haroon, who will be walking us through probably the most asked question of the new stimulus bill. And take it away, Maureen. Thank you, Emily, and good afternoon, everyone. Of course, you want to begin with some long anticipated news. The spending deadline for the coronavirus relief fund has been extended to December 31st, 2021. Please note that this is the only change made to the CRF as of now. No additional funding has been allocated to state and local governments. It is only the spending deadline of CRF funds that has been extended. Now, in terms of education, $82 billion is going into the Education Stabilization Fund. This is to provide flexible funding to states, school districts, and institutes of higher education to assist with their needs and operations that were disrupted by the pandemic. Within the $82 billion is the $4.1 billion going towards the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, which also includes $2.7 billion for emergency assistance for non-public school grants. Then we have $54.3 billion for the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. And these funds include new allowable uses, such as um, repairs and improvements for school facilities to improve their indoor environment and air quality, as well as assisting disabled students, racial and ethnic minorities, 
students experiencing homelessness and children in foster care. Then we also have $22.7 billion going towards the Higher Education Emergency Relief Fund, of which the largest chunk uh, will be $20.2 billion going towards public and private nonprofit institutes. <coughs> Excuse me, <laughs> $20.2 billion, which will go to public and private schools, nonprofit institutes, and institutes of higher education. I will now pass it over to Michael Thomas for some additional updates. Thank you, Mary. And greetings, everybody. So we wanted to take a look at the uh, the dollars that are coming out of the bill and going on to the uh, uh, the highways, byways, transit uh, uh, systems, and into the air. Uh, I want to point out uh, to make a distinction here that what I'm talking about is funding that is coming in addition to what will come on top of the normal appropriations process. This bill, this uh, enormous 5,000 plus page bill. Uh, is sort of one part appropriations, which is the normal annual business conducted by Congress. Uh, and then there's the money that is on top of appropriations uh, that is largely there uh, in support of, of response uh, and relief to uh, the COVID-19 uh, outbreak. So moving forward here, I wanna talk about transportation and community development funds and initiatives. Uh, on the transportation side, the, the three main covered here uh, are mass transit, aviation, and then our, our highway system. So in total, we're talking about $26 billion of, uh, of relief aid fund uh, for transit, 14 billion through the Federal Transit Administration uh, will be doled out using a longstanding formula they've used to dole out through their grant programs, the urbanized area formula grants, and then the same one except for rural areas. Uh, that will be a total distribution through the states uh, and with some of those state transportation agencies receiving money as well, uh, but the state transportation departments are going to be the, uh, the chief uh, holders of those funds. Uh, aviation's $2 billion is going to go towards airports across the country. Now that 2 billion, like it is for all of this money here, this is largely centered around uh, making up for revenues that have lost as a result of the pandemic for paying for operations and maintenance that are in the regular run of business, but also in response uh, and operations to uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, the $10 billion for, uh, in support of state departments of transportation and certain local transportation agencies, again, all that is extended to routine maintenance as well, uh, and the routine uh, personal costs and operations. An additional 1 billion is going to be going to Amtrak specifically uh, to operate the Northeast Corridor, um, as you probably heard before, just in the news, Amtrak sometimes a controversial topic, a billion going there. Uh, and, and finally, looking at uh, the community development side of everything, this is when we switch on over to uh, the Treasury being the admin, as opposed to the transportation side, so the FAA, the FTA, or the FHA. Uh, Section 522, the capital investments for neighborhoods disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic establishes a $9 billion emergency capital investment program, like I said, administered through the Department of Treasury to provide low-cost, long-term capital investments to minority depository institutions and then community development financial institutions, or CDFIs. Uh, speaking of CDFIs, they will also receive an additional $3 billion uh, to go about their normal uh, grant writing uh, and, and assistance programs helping those low to moderate income communities with that low, low cost capital 
uh, while also targeting low and moderate income minority communities uh, to provide that same technical assistance, provide that development and support programs uh, to get those communities uh, uh, more opportunity in, in development. Uh, on the second half of community development, getting out of uh, the institution agency side, we have what's called the CCDBG, that's the Child Care Development Block Grant. Now, there's a, a little bit of uh, weeds underneath this side of legislation here, but what I can tell you is that $10 billion is going to be routed through either the Department of Health and Human Services or possibly uh, housing and urban development to support child care costs. Now, that covers everything from uh, institutions and agencies that provide, provide child care and development all the way to, you know, assistance with, with with child care on the day-to-day -day for those who have been impacted by the pandemic who have either uh, been furloughed, lost their jobs, or then working at home and having to chair a care for their children unexpectedly and, and haven't been able to make those arrangements work. Uh, finally, I want to talk a little about the development uh, and the access to broadband. Uh, $7 billion in total will be made available through COVID relief aid to expand the access to broadband all across the country. And the largest chunk of that, nearly half of that 7 billion, 3.2 billion, is going to go to families that qualify, uh, low income earning families, to provide a $50 monthly allowance to offer a discount for broadband internet. That number gets bumped up to $75 a month uh, for certain uh, tribal territories across the country. The remaining uh, about 3.5 billion is largely going to be slated to establishing good systems for deploying broadband in rural areas for offering technical assistance and the equipment uh, necessary in those rural areas. And then a large chunk, 2 billion, that is just intended overall to replace outdated equipment, replace broadband uh, uh, services uh, that have simply uh, fallen behind the technology curve and, and need replacement. Uh, so all of that covers uh, our, our main dollars for transportation and community development. I want to stress again that a document of this size uh, covering so many issues that in the coming days and weeks, there's going to be more development as us personally are able to read this thing more uh, and as a legislative intent is sort of developed uh, once we get onto the other side of, of 2021. Uh, so with that, uh, I'll take it back to Maureen. Thank you, Thomas. Now, some of the things Thomas just covered were community development and emergency support for low income communities. And just to follow that, some additional funding important for all you utility folks out there is included in the legislation through $638 million for low income water utility bill assistance. Now, this will be a program for low income families to assist them in covering costs of their drinking water, as well as covering their wastewater utility bills. The program will do this by providing grants to states and tribes who will then give the money to public water system companies to reduce rates for low income households. And of this allocation, 3% will be set aside specifically for tribes. Utility expenses will also be eligible under emergency rental assistance. The bill will provide $25 billion through another newly established program that will be administered by the Department of Treasury. This is to help families who were impacted by the pandemic and struggling to pay rent, whether that be past rent or rent in the future. The funds will leverage existing local housing agencies to distribute these funds on behalf of tenants and will prioritize support for the most severely impacted households. And as I already mentioned, utility and emergency expenses will also be included in the 
in this program as eligible expenses. In addition to this, the CDC rental eviction moratorium will be extended through January 31st, 2021. I will now hand it over to Michael Bellarmino for some additional updates. Thank you, Marion. And thank you all for joining and I, and I hope you're doing well. I'm going, to go, I'm going to cover a few topics uh, areas for you today. And as already mentioned by my colleagues, this is a massive bill. So we're just going to continue to um, dive into it and update information as quickly as we can. Uh, and hopefully it'll, you'll find it helpful as we continue to get into 2021. Uh, the first topic area we're broadly going to call disaster assistance because essentially it's a pot of funding that goes to FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, unfortunately, as we all know, the death toll from COVID it just continues to increase. Uh, this year, we're, we've already seen that we've surpassed 300,000 deaths already. So with this pot of funding, it's roughly $2 billion. It provides uh, assistance that FEMA will administer, but will go through the states uh, to help families with funeral expenses who unfortunately may have lost their loved ones uh, through December 31, 2020 due to COVID. Um, previously, there was a match under this particular uh, stream of funding for states, 25% uh, match, but the stimulus package waives that, that match. The second topic area I'm going to cover quickly is healthcare. Another unfortunate thing that we continue to see is that cases are just increasing. But we do have some hope uh, on the horizon, as we all have seen over the last two weeks. The first doses of the vaccine have already been administered uh, to some frontline work, healthcare workers, as well as uh, leaders, leadership uh, in the federal government, et cetera. So, you know, certainly there is some light at the end of the tunnel, we hope, for this. But the funding that was included in the stimulus package, there was nearly $70 billion for public health measures. And this funding is primarily going to be administered through various agencies. So, like Health and Human Services, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the National Institutes of Health. Some of the highlights include... Uh, it was nearly $9 billion that's going to go to CDC to help support the states as we all uh, are awaiting that vaccine rollout. Um, it's going to help them make sure that it's going out judiciously and they're tracking appropriately uh, to ensure that, that everyone is, getting, is going to eventually get the vaccine. And then there's roughly $25 billion to support the states for testing and tracing. Of course, that, the goal of that is to try to contain the spread as best as we can as the vaccine rolls out, because we all know we're expecting that to take place uh, over several months. And then there's an additional $3 billion in grants that was tacked on to funding that was provided previously to help healthcare providers. Uh, they've experienced, uh, of course, and, and not surprisingly, an increase in expenses as it relates to the response to the pandemic. And then finally, I just want to point two quick highlights on some employer assistance. Uh, these are primarily found in Division EE, and that's division double E of the bill. So you got to wait through the first few thousand pages to get towards the end uh, to find these. Uh, the first is the employee retention credit. Now, the primarily it primarily impacts the private sector. Uh, it extends that the, the the ability to claim this credit to July 1, 2020. But one of the changes that's included in the stimulus package is that it does add hospitals and higher education as, as eligible employers. And the se second thing we want to highlight is the FMLA requirements, the leave requirements that were created under the Families, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or the FFCRA, 
uh, ends at the end of this year. As you may recall, the FFCRA expanded the FMLA leave to require all employers to provide paid sick leave uh, due to the pandemic. Um, there was an employer credit that was really just for private sector employers, so state and locals, we were not eligible for this or you were not eligible for that in the first place. But that is one of the main things that caused heartburn for many because, of course, that was essentially uh, an unfunded mandate, if you will, uh, because uh, state and local public sector employers were required to provide that paid leave but didn't get that credit that private sector employers, employers received. So. Um, all that to say, the requirement to provide that leave does end at, uh, the, at the end of this year, so December 31st, 2020. The stimulus package does nothing to extend that. Uh, so with that, I will hand it back over to Emily to finish this out here. Thanks, Mike. Um, so I wanted to touch on just a few things that um, have been widely reported, so really just touch on them. Um, these are the provisions that may not be directly related to state and local operations, but it certainly will have uh, uh, an impact in your community. Um, one of those things, of course, is the extension of the Paytech Paycheck Protection Program, or we're calling it the PPP. Um, it adds deductibility also for the PPP expense. Uh, what this bill does is it gives businesses experiencing severe revenue reductions an opportunity to apply for a second draw of the PPP loan. It also includes 501c6 organizations, which it included 501c3s prior, but it excludes unions from eligibility. It includes a $15 billion carve-out of funding for entertainment venues like movie theaters and museums that are experiencing significant revenue loss. And last but not least, it codifies federal rules that ensure churches and faith-based organizations are eligible for PPP loans. So important stuff for the businesses in your community. But of course, in addition, uh, this bill does extend unemployment compensation. It adds a $120 billion in federal funding to certain unemployment compensation support. And they're generally in three categories. The first, of course, is um, the $300 per week that would supplement all state and federal unemployment benefits between December 26th and March 14th. So it extends it through March 14th, 2021. It also uh, it funds the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which is, if you recall, provides continued unemployment assistance to self-employed freelancers, gig workers, part-time workers, and other individuals in non-traditional employment. Um, the third category, of course, is the pandemic emergency unemployment compensation. So it, through this bill, it extends the PEUC program, which provides additional weeks of federally funded benefits to workers who have exhausted their regular state unemployment benefits. It increases the weeks of the benefits that an individual can claim from 13 to 24 weeks. And really the critical a uh, central uh, part of this new stimulus act, of course, is the economic impact or the direct payments to taxpayers in um, the United States. This provides a much needed um, second round of economic impact payments of $600 for individuals making up to $75,000 per year. 
and $1,200 for couples making up to $150,000 per year. And in addition, it includes $600 for each dependent. Um, so again, much needed stimulus efforts at the individual level have been addressed in this bill. Now, um, on the next slide, I. I talk a little bit about the municipal liquidity facility. If you recall, in our previous week in Washington, we've discussed the municipal liquidity facility as an emergency lending feature um, that was provided through the CARES Act through the Federal Reserve. Um, this bill, you may recall, over the weekend really, I'm sorry, this provision really kind of had um, the caucuses mired up in, in, in really um, a conversation about how they can find resolve here. This was one of the, the critical elements of the decision of the debate that um, finally, finally was resolved. And let me tell you what the resolution, let me tell you what the challenge was and what the resolution was. The challenge was, is the Republican caucus on the Senate side was kind of saying, okay, we set up these facilities, the municipal liquidity facility and the Main Street lending facility. We've set them up, but the markets are fine. We set them up and the markets behaved appropriately. And here we are at the end of 2020 and we don't need them anymore. And so the Republican caucus is saying, well, you know, let's just shut down these facilities. Let's claw back the money that we had to, to set up the facilities. And, you know, maybe we should probably provide some oversight on what the Federal Reserve can do in terms of emergency lending in the future. And the Democratic caucus said, you know, we don't agree with that. <laughs> we don't agree with the third provision. We think that the Federal Reserve should maintain some authority to be able to create those those Federal Reserve programs in unusual and exigent circumstances. So that was the really big decision that had to be made. Could the Republican caucus allow for the Fed to preserve some amount of autonomy to create lending programs, you know, perhaps that don't look exactly like the MLF. In fact, now it's written in the statute, they cannot create a facility exactly like the municipal liquidity facility. So at the end of the day, we still do have a Federal Reserve that can and, and preserves the authority to execute its Section 13.3 authority throughout 2021 um, in case there is some market instability that rears its ugly head in 2021. Of course, that stands to be seen. We thankfully have a bill that preserves that authority, and we certainly will be working with the Federal Reserve and the United States Treasury to ensure that uh, states and local governments um, have some protection um, in an unstable environment that we're looking at in 2021. And that said, speaking of 2021, <laughs> I'd like to thank you uh, for participating throughout 2020. And we certainly look forward to uh, working with you in 2021. I personally would like to usher out 2020 and uh, uh, look forward to a bright 2021 with a little bit of gratitude. I cannot be more thankful to my team, to Michael Bellarmino, to Michael Thomas, to Maureen Haroon. Thank you so much for being there, for getting the information and making sure our members um, know what's happening uh, each Friday, each day, each minute of 2020. So thank you. And in addition, would love to thank you, our members who are watching this. 
Thank you so much for your outreach and your support throughout 2020. We very much look forward to working with you in 2021. With that, hope you have a joyous holiday and uh, look forward to seeing you in the new year. Thanks, everyone.